Chapter 36 The OBS One of the most important agencies for the relief of distress was the Organised Benevolence Society. This association received money from many sources. The proceeds of the fancy dress carnival, the collections from different churches and chapels which held special services in aid of the unemployed, the weekly collections made by the employees of several local firms and business houses, and the proceeds of concerts, bazaars, entertainments, donations from charitable persons, and the subscriptions of the members. The society also received large quantities of cast-off clothing and boots and tickets of admission to hospital and convalescent homes and dispensaries, or from subscribers to those institutions, or from people like Rushton and Co., who had collecting boxes in their workshops and offices. Altogether, during the last year, the society had received from various sources about £300 in hard cash, and this money was devoted to the relief of cases of distress. The largest item in the expenditure of the society was the salary of the General Secretary, a Mr. Sawney Grinder, a most deserving case, who was paid £100 a year. After the death of the previous Secretary, there were so many candidates for the vacant post that the election of the new Secretary was a rather exciting affair. The excitement was all the more intense because it was restrained. A special meeting of the Society was held. The Mayor, the Alderman, Sweater presided, and amongst those present were the councillors, Rushton, Diddleham and Grinder, Mrs. Starvum, of course, the Reverend Mr. Bosher, a number of rich, semi-imbecile old women who had helped to open the labour yard, and several other ladies. Some of these were the district visitors already alluded to, and most of them were the wives of wealthy citizens and retired tradesmen, richly dressed, ignorant, insolent, overbearing frumps, in fact, who, after filling themselves with good things in their own luxurious homes, went flouncing into the poverty-stricken dwellings of their poor sisters and talked to them of religion, and lectured them about sobriety and thrift, and sometimes gave them tickets for soup or orders for shillings' worth of groceries or coal. Some of these overfed females, the wives of tradesmen, for instance, belonged to the Organised Benevolent Society and engaged in this work for the purpose of becoming acquainted with people of superior social position. One of the members was a colonel, and Sir Grabdall Dinclosland, the Member of Parliament for the borough, who belonged to the Society and occasionally attended its meetings. Others took up district visiting as a hobby. They had nothing to do, and being densely ignorant and of inferior mentality, they had no desire or capacity for any intellectual pursuit. So they took up this work for the pleasure of playing the grand lady and the superior person at very small expense. Other of these visiting ladies were middle-aged and unmarried women with small private incomes. Some of them were well-meaning, compassionate, gentle creatures who did this work because they, well, sincerely desired to help others, and they knew no better way. These did not take much part in the business of the meetings, 
and they paid their subscriptions and helped to distribute the cast-off clothing and boots to those who needed them, and occasionally obtained from the secretary an order for provisions or coal or bread for some poverty-stricken family. But the poor, toil-worn women whom they visited welcomed them more for their sisterly sympathy than for the gifts which they brought. Some of the visiting ladies were of this character, but, well, they were not so many. They were as few as fragrant flowers amidst a dense accumulation of noxious weeds. There were examples of humility and kindness, shining, indeed, amidst a vile and loathsome mass of hypocrisy and arrogance and cant. When the chairman had opened the meeting, Mr Rushton moved a vote of condolence with the relatives of the late secretary, whom he eulogised in the most extraordinary terms. "'Yeah, the poor of Mugglesborough has lost a kind and sympathetic friend, one who had devoted his life to helping the needy,' and so forth and so on. As a matter of fact, most of the time of the defunct had been passed in helping himself, but Rushton, well, said nothing about that. Mr Didlam seconded, seconded the vote of condolence in similar terms, and it was carried out unanimously. And then the chairman said that the next business was to elect a successor to the departed Paragon, and immediately no fewer than nine members rose to propose a suitable person. They each had a noble-minded friend or relative willing to sacrifice himself for the good of the poor. And the nine benevolent stood looking at each other, at the chairman with sickly faces and smiles upon their hypocritical faces. It was a dramatic moment. No one spoke. It was necessary to be careful. It would never do to have a contest. The secretary of the OBS was usually regarded as a sort of philanthropist by the outside public, and it was necessary to keep this fiction alive. For one or two minutes an awkward silence reigned, and then one after another they all reluctantly resumed their seats, with the exception of Mr Amos Grinder, who said that he wished to propose his nephew, Mr Sawney Grinder, a young man of a most benevolent disposition, who was desirous of immolating himself upon the altar of charity for the benefit of the poor. Oh, at least some words to that effect. Mr. Diddlem seconded, and there was being no other nomination, for they all knew that it would give the game away to have a contest. The chairman put Mr. Grinder's proposal to the meeting and declared it carried unanimously. Another considerable item in the expenditure of the society was the rent of the offices, a house in the back street. The landlord of this place was another very deserving case. There were numerous other expenses too, stationery and stamps and printing and so on, and what was left of the money was used for the purpose which it had been given, a reasonable amount being kept in hand for future expenses. All the details, of course, were set duly forth in the report and balance sheet at the annual meeting. No copy of this document was ever handed to the reporters for publication. It was read to the meeting by the secretary. The representatives of the press took notes and in the reports of the meeting that subsequently appeared in the local papers, the thing was, well, so mixed up and garbled together that a few people who read it could not make head nor tail of it, 
And the only thing that was clear was that the society had been doing a great deal of good for someone or other, that, that more money was urgently needed to carry on the work. It usually appeared something like this. Helping the needy. Mugsborough Organised Benevolent Society. Annual meeting at the Town Hall. A splendid record of miscellaneous and valuable work. The annual meeting of the above society was held yesterday at the Town Hall. The Mayor, Alderman, Sweater presided, and amongst those present were Sir Grabal Dinkloseland, Lady de Closeland, Lady Slumrent, the Reverend Mr. Bosher, Mr. Cheeseman, Mrs. Builder, Mrs. Gossar, Mrs. Darby, Mrs. Butcher, Mrs. Taylor, Mrs. Baker, Mrs. Starvum, Mrs. Lodging, Mrs. M. B. Sile, Mrs. Nobrain, Mrs. M. T. Head, Mr. Rushton, Mr. Diddler, Mr. Grinder, and here followed a rather course with a column of names of other charitable persons, all subscribers to the society. The secretary read the annual report, which contained the following, amongst other interesting items. During the year, 1,972 applications for assistance have been received, and of this number, 1,302 have been assisted as follows. Bread and grocery orders, 273. Coal or coke orders, 57. Nourishment, 579. There was applause following that. Pairs of boots granted, 29. Clothing, 105. Crutch granted to a poor man, 1. Nurses provided, 2. Hospital tickets, 26. Sent to consumption sanatorium, 1. 29 persons whose cases were chronic were referred to the poor law guardians. Work found for 19 persons. Cheers. Peddler's licences, 4. Dispensary tickets, 24. Bedding redeemed, 1. Loans granted to people to enable them to pay their rent, eight. Loud cheers. Dental tickets, two. Railway fares for men who were getting away from the town to employment elsewhere, twelve. Great cheering at that one. Loans granted, five. Advertisements for unemployment, four. And so on, and so on. There was about another quarter of a column of these details, the reading of which were punctuated with applause and concluded with leaving 670 cases which, for various reasons, the society was unable to assist. The report then went on to explain that the work of inquiring into the genuineness of the applications entailed a lot of labour on the part of the secretary, some cases taking several days. No fewer than 649 letters had been sent from the office and 97 postcards. Applause. Very few cash gifts were granted, as it was most necessary to guard against the charity being abused. Hear, hear. Then followed the most remarkable paragraph headed the balance sheet, which, as it was put, included the following. The following was a jumbled list of items of expenditure, subscriptions, donations, legacies and collections, winding up with the general summary showed a balance in hand of £178.00 four and sixpence. They always kept a good balance at hand because of the secretary's salary and the rent of the offices. After this very explicit financial statement came the most important part of the report. Thanks were expressed to Sir Grabble de Closeland for a donation of a guinea. Mrs. Grossar, one guinea. Mrs. Starvum, hospital tickets. Lady Slumrent, letter of admission to convalescent home. Mrs. Nobrain, one guinea. Mrs. M. B. Sile, 
one guinea. Mrs. M.T. Head, one guinea. Mrs. Slodging, gifts of clothing, and so on for another quarter of a column. The whole concluding with a vote of thanks to the secretary and an urgent appeal to the charitable public for more funds to enable the society to continue its noble work. Meanwhile, in spite of this and kindred organisations, the conditions of the underpaid, poverty-stricken and unemployed workers remain the same. Although the people who got the grocery and coal orders and the nourishment and the cast-off clothing and the boots were very glad to have them, yet these things did far more harm than good. They humiliated and degraded and pauperized those who received them, and the existence of the societies prevented the problem being grappled with, well, in a sane and practical manner. The people lacked the necessities of life. The necessities of life are produced by work, and these people were willing to work, but they were prevented from doing so by the idiotic system of society with which these charitable people are determined to do their best to perpetuate. If the people who expected to be praised and glorified for being charitable were never to give another farthing, it would be far better for the industrious poor because then the community as a whole would be compelled to deal with the absurd and unnecessary state of affairs that exists today. Millions of people, living and dying, in wretchedness and poverty, in an age when science and machinery have made it possible to produce such an abundance of everything that everyone might enjoy plenty and comfort. If it were not for all of this so-called charity, the starving unemployed men all over the country would demand to be allowed to work and produce the things that are perishing for want of, instead of being, as they are now, content to wear their master's cast-off clothing and to eat the crumbs that fall from his table.